0: To the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 339. The first day of your cruise is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most exciting day of your cruise, because your cruise begins, and with it, all the fun you've been looking forward to for the months and even years. This week, I wanted to share a list of embarkation day do's and don'ts to help make your first day on board perfect. Here we go. The first day of your cruise better known as embarkation day is when your vacation begins. I think that's pretty obvious, but it's also a point of which you've got a lot to do a lot to see a lot to explore. And it can be a little overwhelming, especially if you're new to cruising new to Royal Caribbean or simply Want to make sure you're not missing out on something. I think the idea of FOMO fear of missing out, is really something I get a lot of questions about when it comes to embarkation day specifically. It's your first day on board, it's your first exposure to the ship, and in a lot of cases, this may be your first time on this particular ship or class of ships, and there's a little bit of an adjustment period. And even when I go on a cruise uh, on my first day, regardless of the ship, or the class or anything like that, there's always that adjustment period in the beginning in which I feel like you have a lot that you've got to kind of cover. And embarkation day is when a lot of people do that. I feel like if you're going to do your cruise errands, all those things that you meant to do once you get on board the ship, they usually get taken care of on the first day. But with that, you've also got to balance having a good time, right? You're not just there to make appointments and book reservations. You're there to enjoy yourself and have a great time. And before we really get into the weeds of this episode about what you should or shouldn't do on embarkation day... I really think it's important to always remember something about a cruise, and that is it's is you're on vacation. And there is absolutely, positively nothing wrong with getting on board the ship, heading right to the pool deck, ordering a drink, and just sitting down and just not doing anything. So it's, you'll have a great vacation, right? These tips are about enhancing your vacations, making it better. So please don't assume that if you don't check off every single checkbox here or or you miss one, it's going to be like a disaster. Far from it. These are ways to kind of enhance, improve, make your first day better so you can get off to the right place. Step, And we're going to talk about what happens really when you get on board the ship, right? I'm going to ignore a lot of the stuff that's happening on shore and the check-in process. We've done other episodes about that as well, but I wanted to really focus on getting on board the ship and the right frame of mind is always an important thing right there. So Once you get on board the ship, I think exploring is a major component to a great start to your first day. Again, you want to get your bearings. This is a really important thing. With Royal Caribbean ships getting larger and larger and larger, and there's more uh, options and amenities, I think it really behooves you to walk around the ship and get an eye for it. Even if you watch every single YouTube walk around video, I think there's still value in being able to walk around on your own because YouTube videos aren't great but I don't think it really resonates in the same way as actually walking a path and seeing things. And this can be very much the case. If you did a a video uh, on YouTube of, you know, watching somebody drive through the streets of New York City, it doesn't mean you're a local by being able to do that. It's all about experience. And You personally experiencing it. So walking around the ship, seeing where all the bars are, seeing where all the restaurants are, where all the public venues are, I think it's a really good idea in order to uh, really acclimate yourself to the ship, especially if you're getting there earlier in the day, which is something I always recommend doing anyway, right? If you're getting there around, you know, 10, 30, 11, somewhere around between 10 and noontime, let's say, um, you know, in a lot of cases, there's not a whole lot of this open. Um, and, and so maybe you have this opportunity, it's a great time to explore the ship. So take advantage of that. The other tip I want to share when you're exploring the ship is because remember everyone's coming in on the ship on a lower deck. Usually the embarkation deck is deck four, deck five, depending on the ship. So what does that mean? That means everybody's getting on the ship and competing for an elevator in the lower decks. So what you want to do when you get on board the ship is go up to a higher deck. Usually the pool deck is a good place to start and then start walking around there and start going down because of course, relying on stairs. To walk around the ship is a heck of a lot easier than trying to go upstairs, especially if you've got luggage with you or some carry-on items. So, definitely a good idea when it comes to that. Um, something else I always like to do, of course, my favorite first thing to do on when I get on board the ship is go to the windjammer, go to the buffet, and have a a lunch to start off my day. You know, it is is family tradition. Every cruise, almost every cruise we've been on, we have gone to the windjammer for our embarkation day lunch. I mean, look, let's be honest. You're going to get on the ship around 11-ish in the morning, right, if you get there early enough, and, you know, that's an opportunity to eat. And if you are getting there that early, what's nice about going to the Windjammer first is you get to beat the crowds there because as you get later, probably about 1130 till about 132 o'clock, it will get very crowded in the Windjammer. And seating can be at a a premium, quite frankly, uh, with a lot of people trying to do the same thing. So if you're getting there early, go to the buffet early to take advantage of the lower lines. I mean, usually I'm in and out of there pretty quickly, especially uh, when I first get on the ship and when the boarding procedure begins. So do that, that's a really good idea. After you've eaten and as you're exploring, Embarkation day really is the best time to take advantage of making reservations. If you have a specialty dining package, you want to do that on embarkation day. No, you don't need to go crazy and make a reservation for every single night. I usually do, if especially if I can figure it out or have an idea. In my opinion, having a reservation is better than no reservation. However, you shouldn't feel a ton of pressure that if you have the unlimited dining package or a five-night dining package, you need to book everything right away. It's going to be okay. There's usually spots available. What tends to happen is times will sell out for more popular times, like eh, between 6 and I would say 7, 7.30 or so. So, it, again, don't take that as a, uh, you know, you have to book something. But if you know it, certainly there's no reason not to make reservations. And you can make reservations for specialty dining at any specialty restaurants. If you go to Chop's Grill and they... Uh, can obviously take your chops scroll reservations there? They can also make reservations for other specialty restaurants on board. That being said, when I walk on board a Royal Crimson Ship these days, there is almost always a couple of crew members walking around the Royal Promenade or the Centrum or where have you offering the option to book dining packages, but these same people can take your reservations. Even if you already have a dining package that you booked online, which is great. What you should do anyway, uh, be sure to, you know, ask them, Hey, by the way, I already bought a dining package, but can you take my reservations for me? Usually they do a pretty good job of of taking care of that. No issues there. And the best part is they can jot it down quickly and then go back to their computer later on and enter it in for you. Meanwhile, you're not wasting time obviously going around. So the bottom line is a don't feel like you need to go to every single restaurant to make a reservation. But if you know, at least a couple or if not all of them of the reservations you want to make Uh, Definitely do that on embarkation day. It's a really good time. Also, go into the spa on embarkation day uh, for two reasons. Number one, to make your reservations, just like dining, right? If you want to get a spot in your time, it's a good opportunity to do so if you did not pre-book it. But also, one of the best times to get the best deals at the spa, in my experience, has been embarkation day. Usually, and this is a generalization, usually the first day of your cruise, the Vitality Spa will offer a flat fee off of spa treatments on embarkation day. Why? Because no one wants to do a spa treatment on the first day of their cruise. They're busy. They're exploring, they're sleeping, they're they're in the pool, they're going to dinner. You got mustard drill. There is very little time, especially before mustard drill. And in our experience, we usually have the most lucrative discounts on that first day on board the ship. Now, of course, that means if you're going to the spa for an hour, hey, which is fantastic, <laughs> but you're missing out on some of these other things we're going to be talking about here. In my opinion, I don't think it really matters, quite frankly, and in fact, my wife and I will use a divide and conquer mentality, and my wife loves going to the spa, and I love, obviously, providing that for her, so I'll send her over there, meanwhile, I'll go down to, you know, one of the restaurants and make reservations, or do some of the other things on there, so... That's a really good idea. Go to the spa, take the tour. By the way, the tour of the spa, totally free. And it's a very low sales pressure. They're not like, hey, you know, they're like making you book a reservation by any means. At the end of it, they'll say, can we book anything for you? And if the answer is no, totally cool. But even if you're not booking a spa treatment, I think taking a tour of the spa on the first day is a nice thing to do. They have ample staff to provide it for you. It's neat to see the different venues, I think, especially if you've never seen a cruise ship spa, it's pretty impressive, the venues they have and what it looks like. Heck, it just smells nice, so go in there. It's a nice thing to do on embarkation day. The other thing you also want to check out is Adventure Ocean. Almost always, Adventure Ocean opens at 1 o'clock for open house. This is when you register your kids. You cannot register your kids before the cruise for adventure ocean, but you can do so once on board the ship. And you definitely want to do that in the early afternoon. Do not wait until that evening where you get to adventure ocean and everyone's trying to check in their kids. And you're that parent trying to register your kids for the first time. It holds everybody up. There's always one of them, maybe two of them. It's super frustrating, but go there. Um, Go there in the early afternoon. A couple of reasons. Number one, you get to register your kids. There's, it's an easy process. Number two, you get to meet the staff. This is really important, not only for you as a parent, but also for your kids to be able to meet the counselors, ask questions, explore the space, see what it's all about. That's really, really helpful. And number three, if you're interested in taking photos, the only time you can take photos in Adventure Ocean is Is on embarkation day before they open. Once they open, they don't allow photos on board. So, you know, if you wanted, whether you just want to take photos for yourself to be able to remember what the space looked like or your kids in one of the areas, you can totally do so at that point, but not beyond that. So, again, some really important things you want to take advantage of. And again, since embarkation day, you're kind of running these kind of errands, it's a good opportunity to do so on the first day of your cruise. Uh, One of my favorite tips, though, about embarkation day also is to take advantage of the lower lines uh, for the pools. For the water slides, the Flow Rider, the Ultimate Abyss, the kind of activities that are open on embarkation day, that a lot of people don't think about, because don't forget, people, you know, they're they're packing for their cruise, right? So they pack their bathing suits in their suitcases, which they give to the porters, and the those suitcases are not delivered to their rooms until later in the afternoon. But again, the pools, the water slides, uh, the activities, the carousel, these are all open on embarkation day, and there's usually a lot less people competing for it. So if you've been promising your kids a ride or two on the water slides or down to the carousel on the boardwalk or the ride down the ultimate abyss, this is the time you want to take advantage of it that first day in the afternoon. Because again, a lot of other people are simply unaware it's there, unaware that they have that they can do it, or simply they don't have the right things with them. Right, their their bathing suit, namely. So. Definitely take advantage of that. That's a really important thing to do because um, you definitely want to take advantage of the lower lines. Because later on in the crease, even later that evening, you will find more people already competing for that. Not to say that their gargantuan lines are insurmountable. Far from it. I think really what you're talking about is uh, taking advantage of the lower lines, right? Because after all, I think everybody agrees that it's really nice to have a very, very short line as opposed to any other kind of line. The next thing I want to talk about is the main dining room. If you're eating traditional dining, whether it's early or late, you really want to take an opportunity to go to the dining room for a couple of reasons. Number one, check your table assignment. On the bottom of your CPAS card, you will see the the dining room deck you're on, as well as the table number. Go, you can walk into the dining room and simply see where your table assignment is. Make sure it's in a location you're okay with. Also make sure that, you know, the, the size of the table is acceptable. If you're there with a part, if it's just you and your spouse or your family of four and the table is for eight or 10 well, if you don't, if you're not planning on sitting with other people on this cruise, perhaps they're clearly assigned to you to one, so you can ask to have a change made or just verify that the location's okay or really anything else in between. But if you want a specific dining location or a table set, like you don't want to eat with other people or you're, you you want to be able to eat with your friends or family, and clearly the amount of seats that are at your table are not can, uh, cannot accommodate those amount of people, you want to speak with the maitre d'. Usually in the afternoon, as early as one o'clock, maybe a little later, the maitre d' is available for dining room changes. This is your opportunity to change your table, make a request for a table change, or as well, change from one dining to another. If you're in early dining and want to go to late dining or vice versa, you can make that request then. If you want to just switch to my time dining or go from my time dining to traditional dining, This is when you can also make your request. Also, if you made dining requests before the cruise, maybe you have a allergy or special request you it's really good idea to verify that regardless if it's life threatening or not, you just want to make sure they have it on file. They're aware of it and they're ready to accommodate you again, go in the dining room, you can usually take care of all of these things. Um, there may be a line there, but it usually moves pretty quickly, and you'll be good to go. Now, in terms of your stateroom, staterooms usually open around 1 or 1:30 p.m., and that's when the first opportunity you have to get in there. Some people will tell you I've read about people they'll sanitize like their rooms, like they'll spray things down with like Lysol and stuff like that. I've never done that. I think that's silly, quite frankly. But when you get on board, you want to inspect your room, make sure things work, flush the toilet, turn the TV on, make sure the functionality that you're paying for is there because on the first day on embarkation day, while your ship is still in port, they have extra maintenance workers available to be able to take care of these things. Not to say they can't fix it once you're out to sea, but it'll be done faster, so do that. Uh, The next thing I always do is put my valuables in the safe. So once I get on board, take my wallet out out of my pants, my keys, uh, things I don't really need anymore, cash I have brought on board, passports, I put that in the safe so that way I'm not carrying it with me, it's not in a bag anymore, it's all in one place, I know exactly where it is, that's a really important thing to do. Uh, once you get all that done, and then usually, if you've done most, if not all, the things I've talked about up to this point, you'll probably have a couple hours to kind of just chill before muster drill. Of course, muster drill is the safety drill you'll have to attend. Everybody has to go to. Yes, even if you've done it before, I don't, it doesn't matter. You still have to go to it. But usually, depending on how long you took to do the things I talked about earlier, a couple hours to kind of chill out, right? Some people go to the pool, they'll have a drink at a bar. Don't forget about the other bars that are indoors. Those are oftentimes way overlooked on the first day of your cruise, everyone's up on the pool deck kind of enjoying themselves, but bars in the Viking crown lounge, bars on the Royal Promenade, those tend to be a lot less crowded because people aren't really aware of them or they're simply gravitating towards the outdoor areas, especially during warmer times of the year when everyone's like, ah, finally on vacation, let's hit the pool, right? And you're kind of, you know, those other bars are a lot less crowded. So check those out. It's also a really good napping opportunity. If by now, usually about two o'clock, I got to tell you, all the excitement, all that, all the adrenaline that's been pumping since, you know, in my case, 6 a.m. Th- that morning, is starting to wear off. And uh, a nap is not a bad idea. I like doing that. But my wife also likes taking advantage of this time to unpack. It's probably the best, most opportune time to do so, to put stuff away in drawers, get the suitcases out of the way. When it comes to suitcases, by the way, of course, as you probably are aware, Royal Caribbean will deliver your, your luggage to your room. However, if you don't see your luggage next to your room, by I would say one o'clock or so, usually they're starting to make those deliveries, but here's how Royal Caribbean makes the deliveries. They'll bring the luggage up from a service elevator to one central location on the deck, and then crew members will then go to that location, grab a couple of bags and then deliver them to the room. But that being said, in a lot of cases, there's only so many bags they can handle, obviously one time to deliver. So there's usually a backlog of bags at this central location you should absolutely feel free to walk by and pick out your own bag. I mean, you don't have to, it will eventually get to you. But if you're in a rush to unpack or you simply just want to get it done with already, hey, not a bad idea to take a look for your bags and maybe take a quick walk around your deck anyway and check that out. And the last thing you should absolutely do on embarkation day is put your phone into airplane mode or turn it off completely if that's your preference. You know, what I'm talking about is you don't have to do it right when you get on board the ship, it's a bit much, but... Before muster drill or right after muster drill, be sure to put your phone into airplane mode to avoid racking up roaming charges. If you leave your phone on, as is, right, when you walk on the ship, your phone can connect to Royal Caribbean's cell tower on the ship. And that is roaming for, I don't say, pretty much, I, every single cell phone carrier I'm aware of considers it roaming. And if your phone tries to, I'm not even talking about phone calls, if it tries to use the data on board, to update apps or check for emails, which it does behind the scenes without your knowledge because that's how phones work, it can rack up giant bills. There's always, you'll see on Facebook, somebody who will post like, oh my God, went on a cruise, didn't turn my phone off, and you know now we owe like Verizon like $5,000 in roaming charges. I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying this. This is really, this happens all the time. So make your last phone calls, texts, and post to social media, and then put your phone into airplane mode Again, I would say at the latest, right after a mustard drill, that's a really good time to use. I do usually do it during muster drill because you're standing around anyway doing nothing, but do it at that point. Uh, of course, you can always keep your Wi-Fi on to connect to Voom and use that. That's totally cool, but put your phone into airplane mode. That's a really important money-saving tip because you don't want to be that guy or gal who has the monster bill at the end of the cruise because they forgot to do so, so put that in place. In fact, something you could do even right now as you're listening to this podcast, unless you're driving, don't do that right now. But something you can do at home is turn off data roaming. Uh, This is a way to also prevent, just in case you forget later on on the cruise, you're excited. It's your first day of cruise, right? But turning off data roaming will prevent your cell phone from using its data, which is the most costly thing to do while roaming on another network. And that's a good backup tool. I have that as an option on my phone and it'll prevent it from occurring. Now there is one caveat to this. You'll have to remember this later on, probably months or years down the line is that if you go to another country, which your cell phone carrier supports like Mexico, like my carrier supports being able to use my data in Mexico. If you have data roaming off and you go to Mexico, it will know the data will work until you turn that back on. That's a problem that's easily solvable and you'll have to remember that for later on. But in terms of preventing that monster bill from onboard the ship, data roaming off, and then most importantly, put your phone into airplane mode. That way you can avoid the bill. So there you go. Some really basic uh, do's and don'ts for the first day of your Royal Caribbean cruise. Hopefully you found it helpful. And hopefully your next first day on your cruise will not only be super awesome because you're on a cruise ship, but it's going to be super great because you're already off to a great start with these tips. All right, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the podcast episode in which I dive into the Royal Caribbean blog podcast email inbox and answer the emails you've sent me. And you can always send me your emails by sending it to matt at blog.com Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Let's start off with an email from Shelley from Nebraska. Writes, My husband and I, and four kids, ages 10 to 17, love cruising on Royal Caribbean, and we've re- learned a lot from your podcast. Look forward to them weekly. In May, we'll be sailing on Freedom of the Seas out of San Juan, first time on a Freedom Class ship have been on Oasis of the Seas, or Norwegian ship, and two Disney cruises. We're staying on the ship in St. Lucia and snorkeling in Barbados. I'm wondering, what is a good excursion in Antigua? Also, we are interested in an excursion to Megan's Bay in St. Thomas. Would you recommend going through Royal Caribbean that's offered through the cruise line, or a third party? We've used third parties in the past, usually because we have smaller groups when snorkeling. Any suggestions for St. Kitts? Haven't decided what we'll do if we'll stay on the ship, since our kids' uh, cruising days are limited for this itinerary. Well, Shelly, thanks for the email. So uh, let's start with your your questions here. Uh, what's to he do in Antigua? Antigua is a great beach day. My favorite, one of my favorite, not one of my, one, my favorite beach in Antigua is a place called Valley Church Beach. You just take a taxi there, walk off the ship, find a taxi. Say you want to go to Valley Church Beach. It's a great spot. Really loved it when I went there. Uh, highly recommend it. For Megan's Bay in St. Thomas, I definitely recommend using a Royal Caribbean excursion for one reason. And I usually I wouldn't have cared for this, but the last time I went to St. Thomas, uh, Shelly, I ran into a major problem. The taxi situation in St. Thomas is deplorable. There is, for lack of a better word, the taxi mafia. They don't have taxis like cars like you hop into. There are these uh, safari trucks, which are basically pickup trucks that have been converted into well, short buses, if you ask me. Anyway, long story short, it's a real pain in the butt because the, when you tell them, oh, I'd like to go to Megan's Bay, they'll say, OK, go right over here. And you get on this bus and you got to wait for other people stinks. So what you should do instead is book it through Royal Caribbean. Yes, it's still a bus. You're not getting around that problem, but it's a lot easier to manage. There's a lot that you're still dealing with the middleman, but I just hate supporting this kind of a structure that that the locals use. I don't know why St. Thomas does this. Anyway, this is a my own personal axe to grind, but I think in the grand scheme of making things simple, I think you should use Royal Caribbean's excursion. It's just going to make it again, simple. So there you go. Uh, And lastly for St. Kitts, I would probably stay on board the ship. Yeah, I mean, it's another beach day, really. So if you're doing Megan's Bay, you're doing a beach day in Antigua, I think it's a good one to maybe stay on board the ship and explore on board and again, maximize that time on board the ship because you are going on a phenomenal ship. Freedom of the Sea is getting a number of big upgrades here uh, in just a couple of weeks. So definitely makes sense. Next, we have an email from Chris who writes, My girlfriend and I just got back from a seven-night Western Caribbean sailing on board Liberty this is out of Galveston, so I want to share a few thoughts I had looking back on our entire vacation. This is our first time sailing on a Freedom Class ship, and Liberty was fantastic. A big shout-out to all the crew. Everyone was super nice, friendly, and extremely helpful throughout the entire cruise. Overall, it was fantastic. We visited Cozumel, Grand Cayman, and Falmouth which is definitely an itinerary I would recommend to anybody. Really, the only downsides were that it ended after seven days and on the last day, I fell down the staircase leading to the promenade and caused me my pizza from Sorrento's to go everywhere. I wasn't hurt or anything, but was really upset with myself because I had to go back in the long line at Sorrento's to get more pizza. (laughs) Also, now that I think about it, the debarkation process through customs could have been a tad better, but it was all good with us. The cruise was one that got me to emerald status on Crown & Anchor, so no complaints. I did have one question. We're debating on which credit card we should be getting. We're having to decide between Royal Caribbean's credit card uh, to accrue, hopefully, more status or points or just go with an airline credit card to earn miles. We live in San Diego with almost no Royal Caribbean options on the West Coast, so we're having to fly wherever we cruise. If so, if you we were to get the Royal Caribbean credit card, how does that work in regards to points, status, etc.? Or and how does those transfer into perks that are offered? Chris, great question. Credit cards, you know, we've done an episode about credit cards, Chris, but I'm gonna give you the short answer of it here. I don't own the Royal Caribbean credit card and the reason why I don't is I think there are far better... Rewards, whether they're travel or otherwise, through other credit cards that are out there. The reason to get the Royal Caribbean credit card is to accrue points to earn either onboard credit and/or essentially free cruises. Right now, you might be saying, "Well, Matt, you cruise a lot with Royal Caribbean. Why wouldn't you get the credit card?" But the reality is, yes, it is nice getting a free cruise or onboard credit. I feel like the the way that you can rack up your rewards with other credit cards are more lucrative than what you can get with Royal Caribbean. And while, yes, I'm not going to be necessarily able to use those other points towards a Royal Caribbean cruise or onboard credit, I still use it towards my vacations. As an example, airfare, and Chris, you you hit upon this, is a huge thing to to account for. And what I like is, I I also don't own any airline-specific credit cards. I like credit cards that offer me the most amount of reward points that I can use as I see fit. I've become a big fan of Chase's offerings. I know the Chase Sapphire card, which does have an annual fee, so you should be aware of that has some really great rewards also the american express card does as well um for and the nice thing about both cards is you can use that towards airfare you can use that towards gift cards you can use that as straight cash back on your statement there's a lot of flexibility for me that's what i like and certainly for you as being on the west coast i might lean more towards a a credit card that gives you airline miles or opportunities to bring down the cost of, of flights to do so. Um, the other thing is with the Royal Caribbean credit card, it doesn't help you with your status. It just simply gives you points that you can use towards, again, onboard credit, free cruises. there's also some other rewards that are in there as well. But again, it's not even that. I just think that other credit cards give you rewards at a better rate or with more lucrative rewards and more flexibility than just what Royal Caribbean offers you. So, I, I know it seems weird, I'm not talking to people into getting the Royal Caribbean credit card, I just, in my experience, and my personal, the way I travel, the way I spend, the way I earn rewards, I prefer other cards out there. Not to say that the Royal Caribbean credit card is bad. I know a lot of people actually do enjoy that quite a bit. Um, but I'm just trying to give you the the whole scope there. But if your goal is, say, man, I just want I just want to earn onboard credit, free cruises. That's my that's my goal here. Hey, this this is really the best card for that. Not the be- the only card for that. And that's why it's really nice about it. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great idea right there. Next, we have an email from Camille Morton who writes, this is a little cheesy, but I wanna write and say, thank you for your inspiration. A few years ago, I was going through some health and relationship problems, and they were really taking taking me down. A wise friend told me for good mental health, do something every day that makes you feel like you're on vacation. That's why I started listening to your podcast as I was planning a family cruise. I couldn't get enough of it. It was my daily momentary escape from my problems. I knew I loved traveling, but I had no idea how much I would love cruising as I learned more through you in the planning process. Long story short, I've now opened my own travel agency with a specialty in cruising. I'm hoping to pass on your, your, or our, same enthusiasm to cruising to other people out here in the West. Thanks for inspiring me and getting me through a tough time. I've been so busy getting my company started that I've fallen behind on the podcast, but as I was listening today, I was happy to hear that you're working full-time on Royal Korean Blog. Congratulations on a project well done and executed. You have a gift. Camille, I am so glad. First of all, thank you for the very, very, very kind words, and I am so glad that this podcast has helped inspire you and helped you out of a tough time there. That is amazing. I mean, the the reach of this podcast, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. This is just true of really podcasts in general and the power of the internet, the good power of the internet is to connect people, right? And and when I get to meet someone like Camille here, I've actually never met in real life, I don't think Camille, but um, you know, on, on board a ship and hear stories about how much they enjoy whether they enjoy the podcast or they simply got to know other people and friends through it has been amazing. But I've met so many friends that are I now, you know, are, are my daily friends, quite frankly, because of Royal because of the internet, because of the power of all that. And I love cruising. It really comes down to cruising. And you never would've thought of it when you first started booking your first cruise, right? You didn't book a cruise like, oh, well, there's this Royal Caribbean cruise out there, huh? Okay, well, you know what? I'm gonna book that and gosh darn it, not only we gonna have a great vacation, I'm gonna make lifelong friends. No, you just booked it because it looked like a cool thing to do and it'd be warmer than where you live right now, right? Of course, that's what we all thought. But as it turns out, it has proven to be so much more than that. And I absolutely, positively love that. And by the way, this is not, this is which the next person is email I'm gonna read is one of those friends. I didn't plan it this way. She's just her email's next in the queue. And that is Nora from Deerfield Beach, Florida. You're right, time am I'm doing a near repeat of my first cruise this year to the Eastern Caribbean on Adventure of the Seas in April. The only difference is we're going to St. Thomas instead of St. Kitts. I would have preferred St. Kitts, just about fell in love with those cute monkeys. Do you know if all Royal Caribbean ships dock at Crown Bay Port in St. Thomas? Is it a walkable port? Meaning, is there enough to do near the port so I don't need to be taking a taxi? And based on one of your more recent podcasts, it doesn't look like taxis are really an option at all in St. Thomas. Is that correct? I'm not interested in going to the beach or doing activities. There's a Pirates Museum within walking distance of the other port, but pretty far from Crown Bay. Uh, by the way, I just got back from a Key West Nassau cruise on majesty of the seas. I love Key West. After having only been there when I was 13, I think I need to go back again for a few days. I did the trolley tour, which had a better series of stops than the conch train tour. I Googled both before I signed up, love the Hemingway house and in Nassau, I did the Pirates Museum. Yep, I'm in the pirates. Went to the straw market too, but the straw goods were actually few and far between. And I was very disappointed. Majesty is a much smaller ship than Adventure, and for some reason, just felt very crowded. I had a very good service the whole cruise, but didn't seem to rise to the level of Adventure of the Seas. After April, my next one is on the Western Caribbean and on Oasis of the Seas in March 2021. Thanks for your excellent podcast, the only podcast I listen to at normal speed. You talk fast enough as it is, and that's not a bad thing at all. Nora, thank you so much for the email. I really appreciate that. So St. Thomas, I know it. Just, actually, we just talked about that, but I want to go more in depth there. There are taxes in St. Thomas. I don't want. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. The issue is, if you want to do something on your own, you want to do what Nora's saying. Um, and there, Nora, there is anything you can simply walk to. I mean, you probably could theoretically walk there, but it's not like the port um, where you do dock downtown in Crown Bay is like right next to um, uh, Charlotte Amalie, which is the capital of St. Thomas. That's the downtown people talk about, right? So, um, because it's not really practical, you, if you're on your own for transportation, you have to go through the taxi people and you're into that situation I just described earlier where you will say, I'd like to go downtown and they will say, oh, no problem, madam, uh, walk over here. Th- this guy will take you. Okay. But unlike a normal taxi where the guy takes you, says, okay, let's go. He say, sit over here, we're going to get a couple more people and then we'll go. Well, 20 minutes later, maybe, maybe it's five, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20, who knows? You got to wait for people and you're paying the price of a taxi for what is essentially a bus. And that's why, uh, that's why I get so frustrated with it, but you're going downtown. There's always taxis to go to downtown. I ran into a problem because I wanted to go to a place. Nobody else wanted to go to. I wanted to go to Red Hook, which is an area of St. Thomas that nobody goes to, unless you're taking the ferry over to St. John. And as luck would have it in the 20 minutes, I tried to get a taxi. Nobody, literally nobody else wanted to go there. So because of this system here, I, two things were gonna happen either one I was going to wait or sit around for somebody to take pity on me or someone else to come around from the ship who wants to go there or two, they were going to take me somewhere else first and then on the way back, drop me off there, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, but for going downtown, you want there's always people who want to go there, Nora. You shouldn't worry about that. I would say that you'd be totally fine. Just simply walking off the ship, asking to go downtown, you'll go on one of these stupid buses and they'll take you down there. It's awful. It's dumb that they make you do this because, again, they call it a taxi. It's not a taxi, but that's a fight for a different day. But for your purposes, Nora, what you're doing, yes, you all Royal Crimson Ships dock in Crown Bay. It's not walkable from the port. You should probably take a taxi. It's a pretty short ride there, and you're good to go. So hopefully that answers your email there. And let's move on to our next email. And that is from Calvin Eds, who writes, Hi, Matt, I enjoy your podcast. All good information you give us on Royal Caribbean. You're clearly the guru and fountain of knowledge of all things Royal Caribbean. Thank you. My family's booked on Liberty of the Seas for our first Royal Caribbean cruise, November 15th, 2020, out of Galveston. We're definitely getting excited for it. I have a question for you about Royal Caribbean's procedure for booking specialty restaurants. I purchased a three-night specialty restaurant package, and it seems convoluted the way Royal Caribbean requires you to wait till you board the ship to actually reserve the particular restaurant we want, and after the first one, which I booked at 6.30 p.m. My question is, why the wait? I previously cruised with Norwegian and they allowed you to reserve as part of the booking process, the restaurant time and date. To me, it makes sense that Royal Caribbean would want to know how many people will be in the restaurant so they can closely manage their inventory. Can you address this issue the next time you do a blog on Royal Caribbean Dining? Because I'm not sure, I'm not the only really one confused by this. By the way, next time I'm able to catch one of your blogs live, you're getting a nice big fat super chat. Wow, Calvin, thank you very much, my friend. Um, Calvin's referring to our YouTube Mondays we do on every Monday, about 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'm live on YouTube talking Royal Caribbean. So if you haven't subscribed to our channel yet, you can do so. Just search for Royal Caribbean blog on YouTube. You'll find me over there. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So anyway, let's go back to your your question. The reason is, Calvin, I can't speak for Norwegian, but for Royal Caribbean, their dining packages are a means of which to help uh, ensure there are enough people eating at the restaurant. So you have to go back in time. In order to understand why, you have to go back to when especially, restaurants were first a thing in Royal Caribbean and there were no dining packages. So if you have no dining packages, people book a restaurant, right? You say, oh, I want to book Chop's Grill. So you book, all right, uh, day two and you book six o'clock and for table of two, okay, you're good to go, right? The problem was Royal Caribbean was finding was that there was a lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of peaks and valleys in demand. And there were some nights where. Really, there was nobody there. I mean, especially night one, you really don't find people on night one, especially restaurants. And so that's a lot of lost revenue there. So we're going to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a dining package, which will cost you Calvin half off, right? It's, it's essentially somewhere in the ballpark, about half the price, maybe a third of the price, something like that of what you would pay if you paid the cover charge. That's a great deal it is no question. Dining packages are a fantastic value. The trade-off is, Calvin, you can't book a reservation because you're not paying full price. Because you're not paying full price, we're going to wait until you get on board the ship, and then you can fill out the other spots that are available. That's the trade-off right there, and that's why they do it that way. Now, in my experience, it works totally fine. Um, yes, it's kind of annoying. You got to wait, but really, I've, I think every single cruise, if you do it on day one, which is something we talked about earlier in this episode, if you make your reservation on first day, you, I, I think you'd be very hard-pressed to not be able to get a specific day or time, as long as you're a little flexible. Like if you're saying, I want to book at 6.30 p.m., maybe you have to have dinner at 7 or, or, or 5.30, I don't think it's, or move it to a different day, right? Anyway, all that being said, on the last President's Cruise, which was uh, in November, uh, Royal Caribbean CEO Michael Bailey said they, or actually he didn't say it, Some, one of his, uh, someone in the dining group mentioned that they are working on an upgrade to the, I believe the app, that will allow you to do exactly as you're describing, Calvin. Book a dining package and then make reservations. Because at the end of the day, it is a point of frustration for guests, regardless of what the rationale is. But that's something coming down the pipeline. In the meantime, though, Calvin, again, if you don't wanna do that, forget the dining package and book the the restaurants on your own. Of course, you'll pay a lot more for it, but you will have that flexibility to purchase, or reserve, I should say, the exact day and time you want. Obviously, I don't think you wanna do that. I don't wanna do that. That's why I love dining packages. And in my experience, it's really not a big deal in the sense that you'll still be able to get times you want, but paying significantly less. If you're doing, I would say more than one specialty restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship, you should be booking a dining package. You're just wasting money otherwise. And yeah, Calvin's absolutely right. You're gonna have to wait until you get on board the ship to make the reservation, but it's totally worth it. In my opinion, the trade-off is well worth it. It's The amount of money you'll save is, is tremendous. So there you go. Next, we have an email from Jason who writes, I'm going on my very first cruise this coming March on Harmony of the Seas with my wife and our daughter who just turned one. We're planning on bringing our car seat with us as we'll be driving around for a few days in Port Canaveral before embarkation. I'm wondering if you have any tips on bringing a car seat on board a cruise. Can we check it with other luggage or is it best to carry it on the ship? Uh, Jason, you can absolutely carry it on. I would recommend getting one of those bags. We have one. um, I'm sure we bought on Amazon. It's a car seat bag. Basically, it's a zipper bag. You throw the car seat in there, zip it up and then you put the luggage tag on there, you're good to go, they'll deliver to your stateroom. It's pretty easy, and the bag will last you forever because we've taken it a lot of different places. And our last email today is from Patrick. Here's a bit of an odd question for you. Do you know if folks who work inside the embarkation debarkation terminals are actually employees of Royal Caribbean, or do they work for another company that contracts their services to the cruise company? I know that some of the cruise terminals are shared between different cruise companies, and it would seem that the companies running the terminals would hire and pay the terminal staff, just change the uh, cruise companies for the services. Do you have any insight regarding this? Patrick, you are correct. They are not employees of Royal Caribbean. In almost every terminal I've cruised out of, they work for a company called Intercruises Shortside and Port Services. These are not to generalize or stereotype, but they're typically, they always look like retired folks who are working behind the desk and escorting you around. They wear those bright blue shirts that are, and they have on their name tag, their name along with the InterCruises logo. This is exactly as you describe it, a a company whose job it is to, to staff the cruise terminal because the cruise terminal staff do not work for Royal Caribbean. The exception, of course, are somebody who has a Royal Caribbean pin on, photographers who are taking your photos, some of the, uh, maybe the person selling drink packages. Okay, those are people who work for Royal Caribbean. Um, in addition to that, in terminals that Royal Caribbean owns, like Terminal 1 in Port Canaveral, uh, Terminal A in Miami, you may see more Royal Caribbean staff there, but it's pretty clear that they are Royal Caribbean because you can see their name tag and it says so. But in general, the people who are checking you in, directing you to the che- to where to sit, through the security, they're not Royal Caribbean employees. They work for this third party, almost always InterCruises. So there you go. It's it's, it's a fair question. Uh, something you'll you'll notice about it. Unfortunately, I think if there ever is an issue with the staff, whether they're rude to you or you don't agree with something they're doing, people assume they're Royal Caribbean employees, and it kind of creates an issue there. But uh, regardless, they. The, there is that third 3rd com- party company that staffs the terminals in most cases. So there you go. And thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.